So Brian's going to move the table in place, and as he does, I promised I would do this. I'm so sorry if this offends you. <sighs> Please don't take this as some sort of social statement, okay? <laughs> yes, I got older today. Yeah, it you happened. did. 59. Happy birthday. <laughs> I would say it's the first time in my life I've worn a tiara, but it's actually the second. And, and just like the first service, I have learned the royal wave just for this very moment. So, and that's it. Now it's coming off. But anyway, that was a beautiful thing. How are you? Doing well. And you actually wore yours much longer than I wore mine. So that's good. Uh, no, it's, it's good to be back here. It's been a tumultuous uh, time. In, that was kind of fun, In the wasn't life it? of Brian O'Reilly. About this time last Sunday... Uh, we were probably getting into Iowa, and uh, I'll keep a very long story short. We had a wonderful week in Colorado where we were, we were snowboarding in like 55, 60 degree weather, and then every night they got a foot of snow. I mean, oh, it wow. was unbelievable how this worked out for us. So a great week. We're looking to come home, Southwest, cheap flight, right? We get to the airport, first flight's canceled, then the next one, and the next one. So we had three plane tickets all that were worthless pieces of paper. So we decided uh, to look for a rental car company, and only one, only one, would let us take a car one way. Everybody else wanted to take it and bring it back. So thank you, Thrifty. I am I'm in full support of <laughs> Thrifty car rentals. Never heard of them before in my life. <laughs> uh, for allowing us the privilege of renting one of your luxury SUVs. <laughs> Yeah, so, those were the only yeah, ones they were renting. The only ones available were the, the most expensive models. Uh, but we were able to leave at mid... So we were in the airport for eight hours um, and then left at midnight last Saturday night to drive home to Midway to get my truck, then drive to O'Hare to drop off the rental car, then drive home only to almost as soon as we walk in the door get a call from Midway saying, hey... Those bags you checked in Denver, they just showed up at Midway if you'd like to come get them. So turn around and go back to Midway, get the bags and come back. And I don't know that I've ever been more tired in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Took a few, few, days, <laughs> few days of recovery. Well, I, of course, part of the fun for me was being able to babysit the puppy. Yeah. I mean, Griffey yeah. was the best. I told them, told them stories. But the one I didn't share last week is, I, you know, I... I've, I've always been kind of resistant to this concept of writing a book. I just, I think everything that needs to be said has been said. Mm -hmm. Why add another piece of paper to the noise? But he inspired me. I'm going to write a series, all right? It's a series called The Introvert's Guide To. And we'll just come up with different things that you need a special guide to. And this is, my first edition is The Introvert's Guide to Owning a Dog. And chapter one Sometimes you just need to be alone. <laughs> you just need to be alone. I mean, that dog is, there was not a moment that he was not at my leg. He's always there. I'm eating. He's got his face in my face. You know, talk, I mean, between, between Shelly and Griffey, those two can work eyes and get anything they want. It's Literally just amazing. Anything. But yeah. we had so much fun together. It was really, really a good well, time. Well, he reaped some more benefits from you yesterday because the overseer's team went out 
um, to Texas State Brazil, a Brazilian steakhouse, wonderful. They literally walk around with these big slabs of meat, cut it off, and you get these little tongs. You get to take it off, and they just bring as much as you want for, what was it, an hour and 45 minutes? Yes, exactly. So we gorged ourselves, and I get home, and I think that my dog is excited to see me, but no, he was just excited to smell all the meat <laughs> that was glued to my clothes it from was, that It was lovely. Experience. It was so, wonderful. Yeah. Good stuff. So you got your uh, weekend update on Friday, and we kind of we skinnied this one down to just hit a few things. We could probably have this, you know, three times the yeah. size, but we know there comes a point that you can only absorb so much. So the one in the in the middle is the one I wanted to talk about first, and that is to just say thank you to everybody that showed up yesterday to help get the mulch spread around the property. Uh, it looks so beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious. It was awesome, and it meant it meant a lot to me because I, early in the week. Um, you know, I knew we were going out in the afternoon. I knew there was a lot going on. And all week long, I kept wanting to just, like, get the grasses trimmed in the islands and whatever, and it would be raining or it would be freezing cold. And, and so it was causing this pressure. And then, you know, we sent out the email. A few people responded to it. I'm like, man, if only the people show up that responded to it, it's going to be a really interesting day. But we had a great crew out here, and they did a wonderful job. We got, we got everything done in just a couple hours. So crazy. I was grateful for John Dobson owns a, a landscaping company, and he brought his bobcat so that we didn't have to wheelbarrow it everywhere. I just came up, dumped a scoop for us, and we were able to get it spread. So uh, really means a lot. Uh, the way the way you all participated in that, and again, I'm just I'm I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, Rooted, Rooted comes to a close today, technically yeah. in terms of Sundays. We still have some devotionals to do, and we've got uh, we got some groups to wrap up. But but this is kind of the capstone. So we've been looking at some after Rooted life. What are we going to do? You know, we don't just go great work, workbook done and it's over. And, and so one of the suggestions involved doing some Bible memory work. So what do you know about that? Yeah, so we're going to be going through the Romans Road, which is basically the Romans Guide to the Gospel. We're going to be memorizing verses over the course of a month, and the, the neat thing with that is every time that you memorize one of those verses, you're going to have a bracelet that goes with it. And I know some of you are like, bracelets, but no, it's really cool. Um, it gives you the first letter of each word of the verse. So not only does it help with memorization, but it also looks like one of those things from uh, National Treasure, like yeah. one of those yeah. lock and key yep. things. Yep. And if somebody looks at that, they're going to be trying to read it, and they're like, what is maple flap? Like, it, looks, it looks like scrambled letters. They're not exactly. going to have any idea. Yep, yep. The great part about that is that it's going to hopefully lead to some conversations. What the heck is that? Why are you wearing that? And they're not these, you know, big, like, tat sleeve style armbands. Mm -hmm. They're little tiny they're skinny nice things. Thin. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I can tell you from personal experience, we did a, a series with our high schoolers um, in the I Am Second series. And without getting too deep into that, they also had some bracelets just to, as a reminder for us. Uh, I am second. So you'll see a lot of our uh, high school students and leaders who haven't broken them um, walking around still today with their I am second bracelets on. And when I had mine before I broke mine, um, I had three conversations specifically, two with coworkers and one with a, a family member, um, one that led to a full-blown like gospel conversation. Like, why, why, what is I am second? What mm. is the message? Why are you doing this? Mm. Um, and it it, the other two were not as, as spiritual. It was, I explained it, told the story, and they're like, oh, cool, okay, and moved <laughs> on. But I still think that's, that's planting seeds. That's, yep. that's yep. getting the message out there and, and knowing that if they ever come to a point in their life where they want to have those conversations, they know that, um, that they can come in and ask and, and continue that, that talk. So 
really, really cool opportunity to keep using those, those disciplines that we've learned through Rooted yeah. to do something extra. One of the rhythms of Rooted is sharing the story. And so this is a great way to get that share done. And like you said, the Romans Road, that handful of verses through Romans that you literally go from one to, one to the next, and it helps to explain the gospel. Having those tools, I know for some of you, you're going to be familiar with some of the verses, and you're like, well, I've already memorized this. Knowing them, knowing them in order is really important. And for a lot of you, they're going to be fresh and new and well worth, well worth doing that work together. Then you have that last one that talks about Closing day here real soon. Yes, we have 73 students now Ooh. registered as of this morning um, for, for Green Lake, but this is it. Like, this is the week. We need to start doing things like buying shirts, ordering food, uh, doing room assignments, all the fun stuff that goes with camp life, and that literally is going to start happening at the end of this week. So if you are one of those students or one of those parents who's like, oh, whoa, right now, it's okay. You have time. You just need to get registered. If you have questions, please come and ask me. I had a, a couple parents come up to me after first service asking, um, you know, what would this look like? How, you know, how, how can we handle a particular situation? I was able to give some answers, and now we've got another kid going, which Good. is super exciting. Good. So again, if there's any hesitancy with going, please, 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 please come and talk to me. What I'm going to tell you is if your child says, I don't want to go, kick their butt out the door and get them to come along. Because we have seen some dramatic life change, not just spiritually, but also like socially. This is a, a really great opportunity to get to know kids who are rooted here mm -hmm. at Southfield, mm -hmm. in Refuge, at Revive, uh, giving them an opportunity to interact with our leaders in a space and for a length of time that we just don't have when we're meeting week to week. So really, really um, cool trip. Again, need to sign up by April 15th. That is the, uh, the last day to, to get registered. And I, I always admire the way you and the student staff handle kids who are, you know, the, the fifth grader going into sixth grade who may never have been apart from mom and dad for an extended period of time. They don't just get, you know, thrown in and ignored, but you really pay attention to them. And we've not had a kid yet come back that said, wow, I really regretted having going. So yeah. your staff does an amazing in, job. In part, that's because when they get back, they sit down in their parents' cars and then they fall asleep. So they can't <laughs> say anything. But yeah, no, very, looking very forward sleepy. to it. Exactly, to exactly. <laughs> so we already said, Rooted, Rooted wraps up today. And, and one of the things, you know, for us this year, we recognized we were doing it at the time of year that's also known as Lent. It, it started a little bit before Lent, but uh, we didn't want to have too many themes going at the same time and kind of have torn hearts going in different directions. So Rooted really has been our Lenten practice. We have other things that we normally do associated with Lent that we'll bring back next year. But for this year, it's really been about focusing focusing here. And I'm listening to the radio on the way here, and somebody said that Lent is intended as a, as a spiritual reset. And boy, if we haven't gotten a spiritual reset through Rooted in so many ways, so it really, it really met the intention. But it is Palm Sunday. Uh, on the way out today, you'll all receive a cross just like Emmy did uh, in honor of that day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And I uh, would like to be reminded of the story. So actually, we'll go to John chapter 12, starting with the anointing of Jesus at Bethany and then the Palm Sunday experience. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany at the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. 
Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray Jesus, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold, and the money should have been given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many people had deserted them and started to believe in Jesus. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was the fulfillment of the prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were there telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. We celebrate this day that you were honored by the people of Jerusalem as they stood at the side of the road and, and cheered and laid their palm branches on the ground. It seemed in that moment as if they were declaring you king. It seemed as in that moment as if they were, they were honoring you with everything they had. And we recognize because we've read the rest of the story that it was literally just a few days later that the mouths that screamed, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, equally screamed, crucify him. How often we do the same, God. How often we boldly declare our love and allegiance for you. How often we, we, we act as if and say and even believe, I'll do anything for Jesus. And moments later, our actions deny you. I pray that you will help us to grow in consistency of practice and character that we would own you wholly and completely, that like, that like Mary, we would, we would not just spill out perfume for you, but we would, we would spill out our lives for you, that we would recognize that, that you own us, we belong to you completely, and we give ourselves to you wholeheartedly. Help us to understand more of what that means as we break into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we come to this uh, last installment of, of Rooted, uh, what we recognize, this journey we've been on that started all the way back at the beginning of February, is that part of the goal is to establish in our lives a series of rhythms. 
things that we're doing on a consistent basis, recognizing that those, those rhythms in cooperation with the power of the Spirit of God can be truly transformative. They can absolutely change us. And it's not just about doing certain actions, but it's about doing them in the power and the Spirit of God. So we've talked about doing daily devotions, that there's a time every day that we spend a little bit of time digging into the Word of God, hearing what God has to say to us, hearing His Word spoken to us. Now, your rooted notebook's going to end. You're like, where do I go next? Well, you get into the Bible. You get into a Bible reading. Between Bible.com, there's so many different Bible reading plans. What I'd encourage you to do in your Bible reading plan is not get one that's really, really, really heavy on human commentary and then just throws a verse your way but spend some time really taking in some passages of Scripture. You may be like, but I won't understand it. Believe me, I'm reading through Deuteronomy right now, and there's stuff I'm going, what? But I'm telling you what, as, as, as the Spirit of God can use all of that to truly transform us, even at times that we don't understand, part of our lack of understanding leads us to a place of faith and trust in God. And so it's formative. It changes us. That practice, that habit of prayer, not just hearing from God, but talking to God. That, that rhythm of freedom from strongholds, recognizing that there are times that we do through our, through our ongoing sin, we open a door to Satan, and Satan takes control of an area of our lives. As we looked at that one, I mentioned that the previous versions are rooted called this called this particular rhythm the rhythm of repentance and i got to be honest i like that better i like it better because repentance catches it at the beginning we don't we don't wait until we're until we're bound before we get released we, we if we're practicing a regular pattern of repentance we don't even get to the place that the foothold is open where satan has that opportunity so literally daily taking time in confession of sin being aware of what we're doing wrong and confessing that to god Talk about serving the community, serving beyond ourselves, beyond our own needs. One of the ways that we're serving a community right now is a, a collection that we're taking up for, for people in Ukraine. And we're going to be giving that through Samaritan's Purse. You can literally give through benevolence and, and do that, a way of serving other people. And that, and that combines with, with sacrificial generosity because the fact is we can serve out of obligation, out of guilt. We can even serve out of other nice motivations, but really our motivation should be we are willing to be sacrificially generous to give the way we've been given to, to show the love of Jesus that's been shown to us. Last week we talked about sharing, sharing the story the story of God, the story of how God's, God's story and our story intersect and bringing people into a relationship with God. That's supposed to be a regular rhythm, not a once in a blue, but a blue moon, but a regular rhythm. So something like doing those verses, having that bracelet on that, that provides that opportunity for a person to ask a question, and then we go with what Paul said. We need to be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that is within us. Well, the final practice is the practice of celebration. In previous versions, they called this the practice of worship, taking the time to celebrate, to worship the Lord our God. Now, much like freedom from strongholds, I got to tell you, if I were writing the book, I'd change this wording just a little bit. I would change it to the word gathering, the rhythm of gathering, that we need to gather we need to gather together at least weekly. When you look at, when you look at Acts 2, which is what all these rhythms are, are based on, they met together daily in the temple courts. 
They met together often in each other's houses. Here's the thing. I can worship without you. I do it great in my car. You know, I get that Bethel band going on. My, 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 I, I'm, I'm singing away. I can worship by myself. I can celebrate by myself. I'm going to wear this for the rest of the day. I can celebrate by myself. I can't gather by myself. It doesn't work that way. I can't be the church by myself. It's not possible for me to be the church alone. We are the church together. We are the church gathered. And God calls us to a rhythm of gathering. And unfortunately, in our, in our secularist pagan society, we tend to say church is one of the options of things that we can do on Sunday. It's one of the options of things that we can add to our life instead of saying this is where we're going to live. This is, we are a people gathered as we've had a chance to hear the stories of, of, of people in, in our groups as they've shared their personal stories, one of the themes I've heard a couple of times is of people who were little kids and mom or dad would drive them to church, drop them off, and drive away. It's funny that the parent recognized that there was a spiritual need in the heart of their child, but they didn't see the spiritual need in their own heart. We set the example of gathering, of being in this place, of worshiping together and celebrating together. As you look at the church, and that's where this final chapter takes us, what the church is all about, there are a few pictures, there are a few uh, analogies used to help us to get a grasp on what the church is. One of the, one of the analogies you'll often hear is the church is a family. We're the family of God. Now, I, I hunted, and I, I can't find a verse that specifically says you're a family. But we have things like this. We know that God is our Father. We know that Jesus is the Son. We know that people in the Bible were referred to as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there's a, there's a family element that goes with being part of this body, being part of the church. I will say, too, that it's not a surprise that going all the way back to Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel, that Satan has been assaulting the family and doing a great job of it in America in 2022. He's assaulting the family, and part of the reason he's assaulting the family is to distort the picture of what it means to be part of the family of God. And so for some of us, when we hear the church's family, we don't go, yay, we go, ugh, I already got one of those, and it's a mess. The last thing I need is another family. I've already, I've already got that mess in my life. And, and you think, but this time it'll be different, and then you start getting involved, and guess what? People let you down. People disappoint you. Things happen, and you're like, yep, I knew it was going to be just like that. Fact is, wherever humans are, there's going to be some disappointment. There are going to be some hard times, and families need to learn how to work through that, right? I like another analogy a lot better, and that's the analogy of the, of the body. And the body analogy is used in Scripture. The body analogy is directly used by the Apostle Paul and others to refer to what we are together, that we are the body of Christ. We are, we are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today. There are a couple of reasons I love the analogy of the body. One is because of function. Everybody has a function within the body of Christ. When we look at a body, one of the things we notice right away is a face, it's right out there, right? We, we get to see a face. But we know there's more to a body than just a face. We also know that most of us still have two big toes. We got the big toes. They're there. And you may think, nobody sees them. I don't need them. Cut them off. Try living life without two big toes. 
gets a little difficult. There's a function. There's an important function in every part of the body. Sometimes if you'll show up on a Sunday morning, you see certain people operating in certain roles, and you think, we couldn't function without that. i got to tell you today, we could not function without the invisible parts of the body. There's a function to be played out. But not only function, there's also a sense of belonging. Every part is needed. Every part is necessary. Every part belongs Sometimes we'll get a jealousy. We want to be another part. Paul directly addresses that. He says, no, don't you understand? Your function is important, and it is needed. It is vital. When we are gathered and you're not here, we feel the missing part. It is important. It is vital that we establish a rhythm of gathering. Now, we've already called attention to the fact that today I'm beginning the last year in, in the decade before the one that's even worse. And um, <clears throat> something in 50s that I'll just warn you, if you're like, if you're 20, you don't care in the least. If you're 40, you'll probably be listening a little bit. 50, 50s hard on the body. You know, you, you, start, you start your 50s and you go, I'm going to be one of those guys that, you know, 70, 80, I'm going to keep going. You get to the end of 50 and you go, 70, 80, what? You're not going to make it, sucker. It's over. I mean, this is, this is it. This is it. And it's funny that your body starts doing a couple things. One thing is your body starts talking to you a lot. I mean, it, it's got constant messages going out to you. My, my knees lately give me constant messages. They wake me up at about 1 in the morning. Hey, you up? <laughs> I am now. Thanks. I had this realization not too long ago. So I, I had went to the doctor. I got a torn meniscus. I had to play that whole game. And, um, and I realized both times it's been injured, it's been because I've been trying to do something Brian wanted me to do. <laughs> wanted me to snowboard at Green Lake. We're on the golf course, okay? Don't get a picture of a big hill. It was like an eight-foot hill. And about four feet down, I'm tumbling and rip, rip number one. And then, it, you know, it seemed to heal up fine. I was mildly limping for five years. And then, uh, and then he's, you know, we do this, hey, let's play football before Thanksgiving with church. And if you'd have seen what I did that day, this, this was me playing football. And before you know it, it's, ow, what's that? I told the doctor literally, I heard it walking on grass. That's it. I did nothing to deserve this pain. My body is talking to me all the time. But this is even worse. I talk to my body all the time. It's weird. I'm walking up steps, and I say, come on, legs, you can do it. I, I, I realized this a couple months back. I'm like, you're bizarre. You're talking to your body. Like, like your legs can't figure out what to do without a verbal message. What is your problem, dude? I don't, I don't have to confess right now. I know you do the same thing. We, we start talking to our bodies. Well, here's what I love. Here's what I love. We are the body of Christ. And we get to talk. We get to talk to our body. And he gets to talk to us. We have these conversations, these ongoing conversations with God. Sometimes it comes through a pain in the body. Sometimes it comes through a celebration in the body. But we get this opportunity both to hear what Jesus has to say and to speak to him. So, so my question this morning as we, as we dive into this last installment of Rooted is, what is Jesus saying to his body? 
What are the words that Jesus is saying to this, his gathered body today? And to, to hear what he has to say, I want to look at a portion of Scripture that's referred to as the Olivet Discourse. John chapter 13 to 17. These are some of the final words of Jesus. And if, if you're looking for some good after-rooted reading, go to John 13 to 17. Just spend time absorbing these final words of Jesus. So we, we start with chapter 13. It, it's the passage in which he washes the disciples' feet. And in chapter 13, this is what he says to his body. He says, serve each other with deep humility. Serve each other with tremendously deep humility. You look around at the other parts of the body of Jesus and you be ready to serve. You be ready to serve each other. And, and not, not out of guilt, not even just because you saw a need. Serve each other just like Jesus did out of a tremendous sense of humility. Jesus in John chapter 13 is explaining why he did the foot washing, what was going on there. It says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you are right because that is what I am. And, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. What a humbling experience that must have been. In that moment, the God of the universe, the creator of fingers and toes, waited for the people that he had taught for three years to get up and do something. I hate to say it, but if you got kids, you've been there. You said it, and you said it, and you said it, and you said it, and you think you're finally going to have the magic moment. They're finally going to get it right. And there they sit, and you're like, oh, I'm going to have to do it myself. I don't know that Jesus did it with that degree of intensity, but, but he got down on his knees in a servant's cloth and washed and washed and washed feet in a tremendous spirit of humility. The one thing that is said about Jesus when he speaks about his own heart, he said, I am lowly and humble in heart. In humility, he bowed and washed the feet of the other people in the room. Do we look around and try to figure out how we can serve others? I'm afraid sometimes when we're a part of a body like this, we look around and say, where can I get the best help? Who can help me with this, that, or the other? We're going to network and get our problems taken care of instead of looking and saying, how can I serve you? And let me give you one of the easiest ways we can serve each other all the time. When we're engaged in a conversation, try using these more than this. For so many of us, when a conversation is coming our way, it, it, it like clicks all the stories in our file, and we just start throwing out, oh yeah, I know how you feel, I blah, 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 and we just start to talk, and we just start to go, and that person, that person may just need to be heard today. I can't tell you how many times I've been willing to stop and listen, and this person is, is telling their story, I'm watching their face. And sometimes the words that they're saying, what's happening in their face, are not matching. And you ask, you ask another question, and before you know it, you get to something going on in the heart. That's part of the reason we gather. We gather to be able to see each other, to see on a regular basis, wow, you're not, you're not acting the way you normally do. What's up? What's going on in your life? What's going on in your heart? And it gives us a chance to serve each other. He says to the body, please serve each other. Serve each other with deep humility. He also says, speak the truth about me. Never miss a chance to speak the truth about me. 
John chapter 14, we keep rolling in the Olivet Discourse. Chapter 14 starts with common verses, verses you, you probably heard at a funeral. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my house, Father's house, are many mansions. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go, I'll come back and I'll receive you to be with myself, that we can be together forever. And I love it because, because Thomas, Thomas is always asking the questions, right? Throwing out the doubt. He's like, Jesus, great words. Love what you're saying. But you're going somewhere and you haven't told us how to get to where you're going. How are we supposed to know? And Jesus gives a reply of tremendous clarity. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's funny, even as I read those words in church today to a group of people who love Jesus, some inside cringe a little bit because they hear those words and being influenced by a pagan secularist society, we think, that doesn't sound very tolerant. That doesn't sound very open-minded. The way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, that's it? Are you kidding me? And you know what Jesus is saying? Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. I love you too much to withhold the truth from you. We don't water it down. Jesus says, please, please don't morph the message about me. Morphing the message about me will lead to people not enjoying eternal life. Will lead to people not being connected to God because the only way we can be connected to God is through Jesus. The only way we can come home to the Father is through Jesus. He says, serve each other with deep humility and speak the truth about me. Then he says, stay connected to me. Stay in constant connection with me. And he goes into John 15, and in John 15, he, he uses an analogy that I love because I love growing things. I've been so anxious, literally. I've had, I've had stuff growing at home now already for a few weeks outside in a little greenhouse. It's fun watching the little peas pop up out of the ground. I love growing things, and I love the lessons that are learned from growing things. He shares an analogy that would have been real common with the disciples. They knew a lot about olives, and they knew a lot about grapes. He says, you see that grapevine? Well, I'm the true grapevine. And my father, my father is the master of the vineyard. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. So if it's a non-producing fruit branch, boom, gone. But here's the intriguing part. He says, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. Wait a second. I'm doing the right thing. I'm bearing fruit and you're pruning me too? Isn't pruning just for the ones that aren't bearing any? He says, you could bear more. But, but you, got, you, got this, you got this over here that you don't need. And this over, you don't need that. And you don't need that. And we're like in pain. Are you kidding me, really? It's going to affect the fruit. He's like, yeah, it's going to affect the fruit. The discipline is actually going to help you to grow more fruit. It's going to help you to grow more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. So what, what prunes us? Every time we have our nose in the word of God, it's trimming something away. It's pruning something that we thought we needed that he says, no, you don't. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Try it. Try taking a branch off a tomato and laying on a tomato plant, laying on the ground and see how it does. It can't grow. It can't 
grow. It's got to be connected. It's got to remain. And then comes, I believe, one of the most important verses for every believer and for Christ's church. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Get the next part. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. My fear for the American church in 2022 is we don't believe this line. We believe we do a lot of good things for God, but we don't necessarily think we need God in order to do those good things. We, we're well-funded, we're well-equipped, we got great buildings, we got great curriculum, we got great programs, we got it all together. God, don't take care of a country that's got problems. We're okay. And he's saying, don't you get it? All that stuff you're doing, it's a flurry of what looks like spiritual activity, but you're doing it apart from me. How much does it involve you being on your knees? How much does it involve you being connected to me, remaining in me? He says, my goodness, the message to the body, don't believe you can do it on your own. Don't believe you can lay there on the ground on your own and produce fruit. You can't. Don't believe that you don't need some pruning too. You do. Serve each other with deep humility is the message to the body. Speak the truth about me, message to the body. Stay connected to me, another message to the body. The fourth message comes in, in John 16 as well as in 15. See opposition for what it is. The fact is we have, in my lifetime I've seen us move more from, from, a, from a nation that had a Christian basis to it to a nation that is pagan secularist. It pushes anything away that has anything to do with God. It views the things to do with God as anathema. And in light of that, we are starting to see the advent of persecution against the church and against Christians. And we look at that in America, and we don't like that because we're thinking, if we're doing the message right and we're being nice to people, why would anybody not like us? We like to be liked. We really like to be liked. And Jesus is saying, it's not always going to work that way. Here's what he says. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will. He doesn't say might. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In 15, he says, if the world hates you, get used to it. They hated me before I hated you. You think you're special? The world would love you as long as you were a pagan secularist, as long as you were one of its own. You'd belong, but you no longer belong to the world. I chose you to come out of the world, and so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than his master. Since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would have listened to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They've rejected God himself. So we think about the season that we're in, and I believe the seasons to come when, when persecution against Christians and against the church is going to become far more intense. And we look at that, and we don't feel great about it. And then every once in a while, God will bring an example across to us that like, makes us realize we've got it pretty good. I, I was looking through a, a news site this past week, and it, and it had a, a title that I clicked on. And it was about a man named Safiq Masih. 
Safiq is a Christian in Pakistan. He's an extreme minority in Pakistan. He's a hated minority in Pakistan. And because of Muslim purity laws, there are certain jobs that Muslims are not allowed to do. And one of them is to clean the sewers. You're not allowed to be a sewer cleaner if you're a Muslim. But they have no problem saying Christians will clean the sewers. And they're assigned that job. And, you know, this video, you can watch it. Be ready to have your heart broken. Lasts about four minutes. Just type in Pakistan sewer cleaner. I promise it'll be one of the first things to come up. And there, Safiq, down in a sewer, standing leg high in waist, no gloves, no mask, no shirt, no shoes, just pants. And he's having to take his arm and reach into the tubes to find the clog and pull it out and allow the sewage to come flowing on him. Because he's a Christian. Because he's a Christian. And we think we got it bad. You think you hate Monday? (laughs) He knows what he does every day of the week. He gets to clean a sewer because he loves Jesus. We need to see opposition for what it is. We think opposition is because we're doing something wrong. Opposition is because we're doing something right. It's because we're willing to publicly claim Jesus and remain loyal to him. Serve each other with deep humility, Jesus says to his body. Speak the truth about me. Stay connected to me. See opposition for what it is. And finally, he says, strive to maintain oneness. Strive to maintain your oneness. In John 17, I love this verse because it is the one verse that we can absolutely say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus intended it for us. No questions asked. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, the 12 sitting here, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Southfield 2022, he's speaking to us. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. He says we need to strive to maintain our unity. Now you look at that and it's not easy. We're a collection of people with different opinions, different tastes, different experiences. Different defines us. How does different become unified? When everybody has a different opinion, a different way, a different, a word I say doesn't mean the same thing to you. How do we do that? We strive We strive to be unified. We work at it. We don't just assume because we're meeting meeting in in a building called a church that it's all going to go okay. We have to fight for unity. We have to fight to get along. And I love this because the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, it should say 4, 1 to 6, said these words, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, I beg you, lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. He says, live out who you really are. Always be humble and gentle. 
my goodness, let's just paste that on our dashboard and have it there all the time in front of our faces. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. These are the steps toward unity. Unity looks at what's wrong with, the disunity looks at what's wrong with the other person and rejects the other person, pushes the other person away, says, I want nothing to do with you, walks on the other side of the hallway and avoids but he says, you need to work at it. Work at humility. Work at gentleness. Work at making allowance for the faults of others. And then he says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know what he's saying in that verse? The Spirit gives you unity. It's yours to lose. He gives you unity. It's yours to lose. Now, if you've been a, a part of Southfield for a bit, you're loving this place, this is really great, you're like, hey, this place, this place will never have problems. Got news for you. People are here, problems are here. It's the way it works, right? The way it works in every church, you know, like, okay, I know we have problems, but, but you know, it, it, we'll be okay. I gotta tell you, church I grew up in, it's gone. 100-year-old church, it's gone because of disunity. Church, first church I worked at in Florida, it's gone because of disunity. Second church I worked in, in St. Louis, it's gone. And you're like, wow, why are you still here? You're ruining, you're <laughs> ruining the world. Disunity can take a place that's been around for a long, long time and destroy it in a moment. When we are not humble, when we are not gentle, when we are not willing to make allowance for each other's faults, when we are not striving for unity, we will have problems. And he says to the aching knees of the body, you better strive for unity. Strive for unity. He goes on to say, there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Did you get the one message yet? Oneness. Nothing shows off Jesus like our oneness. When people who should hate each other are unified, that shows off Jesus to a lost and dying world. Serve each other with deep humility. Speak the truth about me. Stay connected to me. See opposition for what it is. Strive to maintain oneness. And so the question today is quite simple. Jesus is talking to the body. Are we listening? You're like, yeah, of course, I just heard the sermon. No, you heard it. Are you listening? Because listening leads to obedience. Hearing leads to judgment and criticism, critique. Listening leads to a changed life. Let's listen to Jesus. We're going to listen to him as we move to communion. And as we move to communion... I'd, I'd love for you to do something. So we, we kind of, we've made a mess of the walls for several weeks now with lists of the people we're praying for, lists of heart desires that we're lifting up to God. And today on this last day of Rooted, I, I'd love for you during communion to go to the wall and take that with you. Put it in a prominent place and continue those prayers. A place that you'll see it on a consistent basis and continue those prayers. Now, I gotta tell you, the song we chose for communion lasts just a little under three minutes. I promise you it's gonna end before you're done. And you're gonna be standing at the wall and go, oops, you know, and you're gonna have to run. In fact, I'll tell you what, in the first service, there was something beautiful about being in silence and continuing the spiritual practice.
So take your time. Go to communion. Those five things. What's the one? What's the one God's speaking to you about today? The area that, that Jesus is speaking to you as part of his body. And then take those papers back to your seat. Father, I thank you for being able to be the body of Jesus. And I thank you for being able to celebrate the broken body of Jesus through communion. Amen. God, these prayers we prayed, we continue to pray. We continue to lift up these names to you, people who need a heart change. Whether it is the heart change of salvation or a, a prodigal that has wandered and needs to come home, someone who just is a, has nothing for you. One way or another, it just doesn't seem to matter. We pray for these names. We pray for the heart burdens that you placed upon our hearts. Keep moving, God. Keep moving as we remain connected to you. Keep moving as we find ourselves abiding in you and realizing, knowing that apart from you, we can do nothing of spiritual meaning. Nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand together and sing. You know, we've shared the background of that song before, and I think it's important, without going into the whole story, to know that that song was not written after a tremendous spiritual victory. It was written in the middle of wondering whether a little boy was going to live or die. It was written in a moment that a person was pronouncing with tremendous faith, I believe in you and the power of the resurrection wholeheartedly despite what I see right now. I wonder this week, as you walk through the events of Holy Week, as you, as you take the time to reflect on Jesus walking toward the cross, would you take that song with you, and as you do, would you pray each day for, for Safiq? Pray for him each day. He's got to get up and go to work on Monday. Every day he's got to go through this, every day. This is one way that we can, we will, we will never probably see his face here on earth but there will come a day in heaven, perhaps on a Palm Sunday, we'll be able to walk up and say, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. That's being connected to God. That's believing in the spiritual tools that God gives us. So let's join in prayer. Father God in heaven, I do pray for Safiq today and every day and all those other Christians who are persecuted so desperately. Lord, help them to raise a hallelujah in the middle of the sewer. And help us to be able to do the same in the middle of our own. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to make my way to the door to give you a cross, but I have bad knees, so I'll see you in 20.